Welcome to Mars Messina Presents. This is Mars and today is Saturday, January 28th, 2023. We have reached episode 93 and another true crime presentation. We will be talking about a branch of the Mafia called the Chicago Outfit specifically spotlighting one of the premier faces of the mob in Chicago, the crime boss, Sam Giancana. But before we get to Sam, let's quickly talk about what the Mafia is, or what we think it is, the Mafia's history in Chicago specifically, and finally how Sam Giancana rose to power within the ranks of La Costa No. La Cosa Nostra, which is another name for Mafia. We'll get into some of the names in a second. But anyway, that word Mafia is of uncertain origin, and it has multiple meanings, or it has come to have multiple meanings. Um, <clears throat> an 1868 dictionary defines it as denoting bravado, while well, another dictionary from 1876 defines it as a uh, Piedmontese. Okay, so Piedmont is a region in northern Italy. So it defines it of Piedmontese origin, the equivalent of gang. It is principally used today to refer to two criminal organizations, one in Sicily and one in the United States. In fact, before we go on, I'm going to tell another little story. Uh, I was in Italy in the county of Umbria, which is north of, uh, it, it, it's not like way north in Italy, but it's north Italy, um, north of Rome. Um, and I was in like this kind of visitor center type place in the town of Orvieto. And I was talking to the locals and um, they asked me where I was from. And in Italian, I answered that I was in the United, I was from the United States. And they're like, oh, they were like pleasant about it. And they're like, yeah, but what city are you from? And then I said, Chicago. And they got really excited. And one of the guys actually said, Chicago, mafia, benga, benga. And I was, I was taken aback. I'm like, dude, I'm in Italy. Because um, I think of the, when I think of the mafia, I think of Italy. And apparently when Italians think of Mafia, they think of Chicago. There's good reasons for this, actually. It was a funny and weird moment in my life. Anyway, in Sicily, the organization is composed of what they call casque, which is a corruption of the word for artichoke, which controls areas or activities and which form ties to politicians for protection and patronage. With each branch headed by a capo, um, which is literally the word for head or close to it. And when you're thinking of like the Godfather book or the Godfather movie, Don Corleone, that word Don is a, is a term of respect, but his job is capo. Um, in fact, in his situation. He was the capo di capi, which is the head of all heads. Anyway, Don, Don is, a is a term of respect. Um, 
some branches that are headed by a cop-out are more um, powerful than others. And the Kosuke form what's called consorteria, which are alliances, which together are the amici degli amici, friends of ours, or the Onorata Societa, Honor Society of Sicily, and that is what we call the Mafia. In the United States, we often conflate Mafia with the Black Hand. Because <clears throat> um, there's groups called Black Hand groups or Black Hand organizations. But really, the Black Hand is not a group per se, but it's an extortion technique um, from the early 1900s. So if you send a black hand to somebody, it signifies death if money is not repaid. The mafia is also commingled with the Unione Siciliana, or the Sicily Union, which is a fraternal organization. The Unione Siciliana is widely infiltrated by gangsters which is why people think it's the Mafia. The Union was chartered by Illinois in 1895 and after 1910 was supervised by the Illinois Department of Insurance. So Illinois and Chicago specifically have a problem with legit organizations allowing unsavory types into their ranks even to this day. According to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, the Mafia's membership in 1963 was approximately 5,000, including 2,500 in New York and 300 in Chicago. It comprised 24 families, again headed by a capo, which is their boss. The families were subdivided into regime or crews headed by a capo regime, uh, which are captains. Not, again, equal in wealth, power, or status, the families were under the jurisdiction of what was called the Commissione, a national commission, which originated in cooperation among gangs in the 1920s when it was so incredibly bloody. In 1963, the commission included the bosses of four of the five families of New York and the bosses of the families in Buffalo, Philadelphia, Detroit, and Chicago. The families engaged in illegal activities, gambling, narcotics, prostitution, loan sharking, hijacking, and labor racketeering, as well as legal activities such as waste disposal, restaurants and bars, vending machines, produce, trucking, and garment manufacturing. So this gives them kind of a legit veneer, um, but it also makes them a lot of friends in the neighborhood and with politicians. And you catch more flies with honey, as they say. Okay, so the mafia again, was known by various other names according to the region the Mafia was in. So in New York, La Cosa Nostra, which is Italian for our thing, or 
<clears throat> it came to mean our family. In Buffalo, they were called the arm, and in Chicago, they're called the outfit. And the mob, as it's colloquially, colloquially known, emerged in Chicago from the contest of supremacy in producing and distributing liquor in the 1920s during Prohibition. Composed of Sicilians or Italians, its members formed numerous alliances with others. In Chicago, Alphonse Capone, or Alphonse Capone is how he was born. He came to be known as El Capone. And then there was Anthony Tony Accardo, John Jake Guzik, who was a Polish Jew, and Llewellyn Murray Humphreys, a Welshman, played key roles in the organization. The group never referred to itself by the name Mafia, but tagged themselves the outfit. Again, this was Chicago. They were one of several street gangs that emerged as Chicago grew into the 20th century as a major city in the United States. Other mafia families across America also used such nicknames as Shopfront, and you see that even to this day. It looks like a legitimate, you know, a flower shop or a photo studio, and you have to wonder what's going on in the back rooms. So a lot of, a lot of the mafia families call themselves the Shopfront or the Office, the West Side, the Combination but they never call themselves mafia. Only those outside the organization use the word mafia, which has come to describe something still not completely really understood in terms of its origin and complexity. And it is very complex. Finding a common denominator might help to understand the nexus of a criminal organization whose main business really is violence and death. It is known that made men, the ones brought into the society by a system of selection and then ritual induction, were the backbone of the mob and are of Italian extraction. The outer limbs of the mob were the associates, like the guys really doing the work. And these men um, often could not be formerly mafiosi because of their lack of Italian heritage. So yes, they could be associated and they can make some money and get some power, but because they were not Italian, they could not enjoy the full benefits of being mafiosi. Now these, there are more associates serving a crime family than there are inducted men. So often when people think of mafia, you're thinking of a bunch of Italians and the Italian ones are the ones with the most power, but most of the mafia aren't even Italian. Um, in fact, one of my friends who was adopted, I think she came to find out that she had a, a dad who was Norwegian and Swedish or something, and that he was a mafia dude, um, like he, he dealt in jewelry. And that's only one example Anyway, each soldier in the Mafia clan has associates working underneath him. 
the number can vary from family to family in, in a major city like Chicago, depending on the era. It could be five or 10 or even more. These associates are in the trenches and they're actually committing the crimes on orders. They're the ones who physically bring in the money and money is the lifeblood of the mafia. If money stops flowing, the mafia stops existing. And really, you can say this about any corrupt organization. They work and they die and they live and they fail on money and what happens with money. Today, the mafia is merely a shadow of its 1963 self because of prosecutions and civil suits using, in particular, the racketeering statute, which authorizes long prison terms and the forfeiture of ill-gotten gains. Most families are now little more than street gangs, if they even exist anymore. Membership is down to 1,150, with 750 those of those being in New York and 50 of them being in Chicago. Although that's only the reported numbers. The National Commission, fearful of FBI surveillance, has not even met since the late 1980s. The Chicago Outfit, also known as the Outfit, the Chicago Mafia, the Chicago Mob, the Chicago Crime Family, the South Side Gang or the organization with its own with within its own branches there's um, a gang called the 26th Street Crew. Now the 26th Street Crew is something I actually want to talk about on a further podcast because it's really interesting stories and history there. But anyway, the Chicago outfit like I said is an Italian-American organized crime syndicate, okay? And um, within Chicago, they originated... Uh, origi oh, man. Okay, time for a drink. Unfortunately, a non-alcoholic one. Anyway, the Chicago outfit in Chicago originated on the city's south side in the early 1910s, although it didn't exactly resemble the mafia yet at that point. The outfit rose to power, like I said, in the 1920s under the control of a man named Johnny Torrio and, of course, Al Capone. And the period was marked by bloody gang wars for control over the distribution of illegal alcohol during the Prohibition which is why there was a commission made, because they couldn't live in peace. They're killing each other. Um, so they had to form some sort of alliances. Since then, the outfit has been involved in a wide range of criminal activities. Again, loan sharking, gambling, prostitution, extortion, political corruption, and murder. Capone was convicted of income tax evasion in 1931, and the outfit was next run by Paul Rica. He shared power with Tony Accardo from 1943 until his death in 1972, which is when Accardo 
alone became the sole power of the outfit until Rika's death and was one of the longest sitting bosses of all time upon his own death in 1992. Though it has never had complete monopoly on organized crime in Chicago, the outfit has long been the most powerful, the most violent, and the largest criminal organization in Chicago and even in the Midwest in general. Unlike other mafia factions such as the Five Families of New York City, the outfit has been a unified faction since its conception. Its influence at its peak stretched as far as California, Florida, and Nevada, and it continues to operate through the Midwestern United States and Southern Florida, as well as Las Vegas and other parts of the Southwestern United States. Heightened law enforcement attention and general attrition have led to its general decline or, and, or uh, yeah, I'm going to say gradual decline since the late 20th century because it was around and it was powerful and people were cracking down on it, but it really wasn't until the 1980s where they really got a stranglehold on the mafia. So it continues, though, to be one of the major and most active organized crime groups in the Chicago metropolitan area and in the Midwestern region, even though it's been, it is now a shadow of itself. It's still active. The early years of organized crime in Chicago, okay, were marked by the division of various street gangs controlling the South Side and the North Side as well, as well as the organizations of Little Italy. In later years, the outfit consisted of various street crews controlling different territories around Chicago that included Elmwood Park. So if you're familiar with the mafia at all, this is going to sound familiar. Elmwood Park, Melrose Park, Chicago Heights. Oh, Rush Street in Chicago. Grand Avenue. You can still see some remnants of mafia here. And of course, Chinatown. The Chinatown crew is also known as the 26th Street crew. Okay, at this point, I think I've given you enough background to talk about how Sam Giancana emerged into his role as a mob boss. This was his background. This was um, what gave his crime life life was this background I just gave you. So Sam Giancana, he was born on May 24th, 1908 in Chicago. And while his birthday is May 24th, he preferred to celebrate it on June 15th. Sam Giancana died on June 19th, 1975 at his home in Oak Park, Illinois. And I'll get to that. And his various nicknames and he had a bunch of nicknames. He was called Momo. He was called Mooney. He was called Sam the Cigar, Sam Flood, and others. Giancana was born Gilormo Giangana in the Patch neighborhood of Chicago. Now, the Patch neighborhood is now known as West Town. And his parents are Antonio Giangana 
and Antonia di Simona, who are Italian immigrants from Castelvetrano in Sicily. His father immigrated in 1905, while his mother immigrated in 1906, and Sam had seven siblings. On September 23, 1933, Sam Giancana married Angelina di Tolve, the daughter of immigrants from the Italian region of Basilicata. They had three daughters. Antoinette was born in 1935, Bonnie was born in 1938, and Francine was born in 1945. Angeline died on April 23, 1954, leaving Sam to raise his daughters alone, or their daughters alone. So, Giancana was never afraid to use violence for profit. And I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that. He was a member of a notoriously violent youth gang called the 42 Gang or the 42s. He served as a getaway driver and as muscle. He was first arrested at age 17 for auto theft and police believed he was responsible for at least three murders by the time he was 20. But he wasn't tried for any of those. He was able to get away. This guy was really intelligent because when you think of mobs, sometimes you just think of dumb brute force. But they couldn't have been what they were without brains, without uh, common sense, if you will. And Sam Giancana had it. He, he was quite brilliant, actually. But in 1926, he was arrested and charged with murder, but inconveniently for the prosecution. A key witness died violently and the charges were dropped. He served jail or prison time for several offenses, including operating an illegal still, car theft, and burglary, but he, he at that point, always escaped murder charges. Several biographies on Sam say he was arrested more than 70 times for various offenses, and that's just the life of somebody who's in the mob. By the end of the 1930s, Giancana graduated out of the 42s and into the outfit. From the 1940s through the 1950s, he controlled illegal gambling, illegal liquor distribution, and political rackets in Louisiana, and he was very successful down in Louisiana. In 1935, Giancana was convicted of bootlegging and sentenced to four years in Leavenworth Prison and Terre Haute Federal Correction Complex. After his release from prison in 1947, Giancana made a name for himself. This part is so interesting, it should be its own podcast, and maybe one day it will. Okay, so he made a name for himself by convincing Tony Accardo, who was then the outfit's underboss, to stage a takeover of Chicago's African-American lottery payout system for the outfit. Listen to this. Known as the Policy Kings from the Bronzeville neighborhood, this black gang ran a numbers racket, which was an illegal street lottery where people pick three numbers 
determined by a random drawing the next day. Usually the last three numbers of racetrack totals. You place bets with a bookie and runners transported betting slips and cash to the numbers bank, if you will. In this black section of Chicago, Brownsville, this racket was known as the Wheel Gang and a man named Eddie Jones ran this. He was the leader of the Policy Kings. Now, if you've heard of the Cotton Club in Chicago, the Policy Kings were tied in with the Cotton Club. And like I said, this alone would make for a really good future episode. The Policy Kings, read about them. Anyway, Giancana's crew, I mean, and for a black gang, they were pretty powerful and pretty successful. But Giancana's crew believed is believed to have been responsible for convincing Eddie Jones to quit his racket and leave the country. I don't know what they paid him or what they threatened him with, but he quit the wheel game and he split town. Giancana's crew was also responsible for the August 4th 1952 murder of African-American gambling boss Theodore Rowe. Both Jones and Rowe were major Southside gambling bosses. Rowe had refused, unlike Eddie Jones, Rowe had refused to surrender control of his operation as the outfit had demanded. And on June 19th, 1951, um, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, on June 19th, 1951, Theodore Rowe, trying to show that he was not afraid of the mafia, he fatally shot Leonard Fat Lenny Caifano, a made man of Giancana's crew. Therefore, Rowe had to go for being so incredibly defiant of the outfit and for actually killing one of the made men. Um, yeah, that was pretty brazen amongst a whole group of men who were brazen. So Eddie Jones uh, survived Giancana, but Theodore Rowe did not. Now, 1957, the outfit's top man, again, Tony Accardo, who was also known as Joe Batters, stepped aside and anointed Giancana, who had successfully consolidated illegal lottery rackets in Chicago, okay, because of how he was able to manipulate um, the policy kings, really. And um, as his, his successor, uh, Giancana was the outfit's representative to the National Summit of Mob Bosses held in Appalachian, New York, in that same year. Although Tony Accardo was so-called retired, but he maintained considerable influence. So like Accardo, who had a permanent second residence in Palm Springs, California, Giancana frequently spent time away from Chicago and invested in Las Vegas, as well as offshore casinos in Iran, the Caribbean, and Great Britain. Following the death of his wife, Angelina, in 1954, 
Giancana was linked to, linked to a series of attractive women, including the singer and probably primarily the singer Phyllis McGuire. He was also linked with a call girl named Judith Campbell, a woman he allegedly would share with President John F. Kennedy. It was Giancana's obsessive involvement with politics that has provoke, provoked um, sustained interest in his legacy. This is what he's most known for, probably. Um, Giancana knew Joseph Kennedy, who was the former ambassador to Great Britain and, of course, the father of the political dynasty that included his son, JFK. And JFK was a war hero. He was a senator. And finally, he was the president. And it was that kind of all-American, wholesome, attractive, um, do-gooder kind of facade that um, people associate with JFK, but that was carefully crafted by his father. It is um, well-believed, okay, that Joseph Kennedy asked Sam Giancana for help in rounding up votes for his son's 1960 presidential campaign, especially Illinois. Um, Illinois was a real, uh, like, battleground. It was really essential that Kennedy got Illinois or he would lose. And so Sam Giancana really kind of manipulated Cook County and Mayor Daley and pretty much won Kennedy the election in Illinois and also in West Virginia, um, which is where he was also um, having some problems. Anyway, how did Sam and Joe come together? Well, they were both involved with bootlegging operations during the Prohibition and they were acquainted with each other. And so Joe called in a favor to Sam in 1960 to help his son get elected president. And if you remember from either history that you've read or maybe you were alive at the time and cognizant, John F. Kennedy only won by 100,000 votes. Not one, not one million, 100,000. That would be contested to, to today. Like, it would be such a mess today if a candidate won by merely 100,000 votes. Um, anyway, it is believed that the mob won that for him. And as a result, Sam Giancana and the mob were probably expecting some favors from President Kennedy. But what happened was, okay, so Illinois was critically important in the 1960 campaign and Giancana's ability to deliver votes in Chicago is widely believed to have won, won the election for JFK. But once Senator Kennedy became President Kennedy, one of the first steps he took while in office was to appoint his brother, Robert Kennedy, the Attorney General. And Robert Kennedy's main priority as Attorney General was to go after the mob. This did not please mob, mob leaders, especially Sam Giancana. 
like oh we want you the election and now you're cracking down on us <clears throat> okay anyway so of course a lot of people believe that they had something to, the mob had something to do with the assassination of both brothers okay so <clears throat> early 60s this is right around the same time of RFK's campaign to expose the mob Giancana and another mob boss this one called Santo Traficante Jr. they were con contacted by the CIA in a complex plot to assassinate Cuban leader Fidel Castro and the reason the mob didn't like Castro is because Castro kicked the mob out of Cuba after his 1959 revolution the Chicago outfit associate Johnny Roselli, who also worked for Traficante and at that point was working out of Las Vegas, was the go-between for at least part of this effort. Giancana reportedly said that the CIA and the Cosa Nostra were, in quote, different sides of the same coin. Interesting. Judith Campbell Exner claimed to be the mistress of both Giancana and JFK and that she delivered communications between those two men about Castro. Giancana's daughter Antoinette has stated that her father undertook these activities as a scam to pocket millions of CIA dollars. Now, of course, on November 22nd, 1963, President Kennedy was assassinated. The conclusion of the Warren Commission, which was created by President Lyndon Johnson to investigate the assassination, was, as we all know, they said that leftist loner Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in shooting the president. However, theories persist to this day that the mob was somehow involved. And many of those theories link Giancana to the conspiracy, ostensibly because of his anger over RFK's campaign against organized crime. In fact, at the time of President Kennedy's death, Bobby Kennedy actually said something like, I knew they would come after me. I, I didn't think they would come, go after him. He said something along those lines. Anyway, which made me think that he thought it was the mob. Obviously, the assassination continues to be clouded in conspiracy theories and mystery. While it's true, Oswald could have acted alone because in those days, the president simply did not have the security he has today. And the president has all this security today because of what happened to John F. Kennedy. Sure, Oswald could have acted alone, but he was involved with really shady characters himself. All of them had motive to kill John F. Kennedy, all of them. Whether it's the mob, the CIA, the Russians, um, the anti-Castro uh, anti uh, Cubans, I mean, they all had a motive to kill President Kennedy. Anyway, so there, uh, conspiracy theories abound. Moving on to 1965, Giancana was jailed for refusing to testify before a Senate committee 
on organized crime, he remains silent despite being granted immunity. Interesting. The law of Omerta, you don't say anything. Okay. He remained silent despite being granted immunity, which resulted in his jailing for contempt for more than a year, the duration of the grand jury. So he probably thought he was sitting out safe. Then in 1967, the National Mob Syndicate, tired of Giancana's presence in the daily newspapers, took away his control of the outfit. After his release from prison in 1966, Giancana fled to Cuernavaca, Mexico, in order to avoid further grand jury questioning. He was arrested by Mexican authorities on July 19, 1974, and deported to the United States. He must have felt like a lamb going to slaughter, because damned if he did and damned if he didn't, but he had it coming for all he did. <clears throat> so Sam arrived back in Chicago on July 21st, 1974. So then he had to testify before another federal commission, this one examining the CIA's efforts to kill Fidel Castro. After Giancana's return to the United States, police detailed officers to guard Giancana's house in Oak Park, Illinois, because everyone knew he was marked at this point. On the night of June 19, 1975, shortly before he was scheduled to appear before the church committee, which was investigating CIA and Costa Nostra, Costa Nostra collusion, as well, they were also at the time investigating President Kennedy's assassination. Giancana had allowed someone he knew into his house. And while he was cooking his favorite meal of sausages, he was shot six times in the head. The first bullet apparently from behind, which is a classic mob execution. The assassin remains at large and the murder of Sam Giancana remains unsolved. Sam Giancana was interred next to his wife, Angelina, in a family mausoleum at Mount Carmel Cemetery in Hillside, Illinois, if you want to visit his grave. So who killed him? Well, there's a few theories. Again, a lot of people wanted to kill this guy too. Among the leading candidates as Sam Giancana's assassin was a young outfit member named uh, Tony Spilotro, who would go on to infamy, infamy in Las Vegas. Within days of Giancana's murder, Michael J. Corbett, the police chief of Willow Springs, Illinois, and a mobster associate, was told by the Chicago outfit's then capo, Salvatore Bastione, that, in quote, and, and pardon the language because this is a tough guy and he talks tough, but this is his quote. Sam sure loved that little guy in Oak Park, Tony Spilotro. Yeah, he was fucking crazy about him. Sam put Tony on the fucking map. 
thought he was going to be a big fucking man someday. Did you know that after Marshall Caifano got out of Vegas, it was Sam who wanted Tony Spilotro out there? Even lately, lately, with all the problems, with all the skim and all, Sam always stood behind that guy. Tony was over to Sam's house all the time. He lived right by there. Did you know Tony even figured out a way where he could get in through the back of Sam's place without anybody seeing him? He'd go through other people's yards, go over fences, all sorts of shit. When Corbett was asked for the reason for the murder, Bastioni quipped, and I quote, There's never just one reason for shit like what happened to Sam. There's a million of them. Let's just say that Sam should have remembered what happened to Bugsy Siegel. Although longtime associate Dominic Butch Blasi was with Giancana the night he was murdered and questioned by police as a suspect, neither the FBI nor Antoinette Giancana considers um, Butch Blasi to be Sam's killer. Hitman Nicholas Calabrese told the FBI during the 2000s that he knew that Tony Accardo was part of the killing and Angela LaPietra got rid of the gun, which was a suppressor, which, I mean, I'm sorry, it used a suppressor made by Frank Calabrese Sr. and Ronnie Jarrett. So that's a bunch of guys involved in, in that theory. Yet another theory maintains that Santo Traficante Jr. ordered Giancana's murder due to fears he was going to testify about the Mafia's involvement in CIA plots to kill Castro. Although Traficante would have needed permission from the outfit bosses Accardo and Joseph Ayupa, Giancana's murder coincided with the discovery of the decomposing remains of Johnny Roselli in an oil drum floating off Miami's coast. And he had been shot and chopped up before being dumped in the sea. Some suspected that Roselli was killed on Traficante's orders, so of course he would have enough muscle to kill Sam. Despite rumors that the CIA may have killed Giancana because of his links to the agency, the weapon used, a 22 pistol, more often used by clandestine operatives than mob hitmen, lends credence to this idea that the CIA did it. When asked if the CIA did it, a former CIA director, William Colby, said, we had nothing to do with it. <laughs> like like Giancana said, the mafia and the CIA, two sides of the same coin. We didn't do it. We're innocent. Not going to say anything. John Witten mentioned during the Skelso deposition that he suspected William Harvey, a CIA assassin, who happened to be in the Chicago area at the time of Giancana's death. Now, like JFK once said, things do not happen, things are made to happen. And I think both JFK and Giancana made so many enemies that 
they could have been taken out anywhere at any time by anybody. So if you really pull back objectively, it's like, why ask who? Why ask why? It could have been anybody, anywhere, anytime. Okay. <clears throat> I have a short poem for bedtime stories from the acoustic bookshelf. This is called Ave Caesar by Robinson Jeffers. No bitterness. Our ancestors did it. They were only ignorant and hopeful. They wanted freedom, but wealth too. Their children will learn to hope for a Caesar. Or rather, for we are not Aquiline Romans, but soft mixed colonists. Some kindly Sicilian tyrant who will keep poverty and Carthage off until the Romans arrive. We are easy to manage, a gregarious people, full of sentiment, clever at mechanics, and we love our luxuries. Until next week, Arrivederci.